welcome to Position of Neutrality. Welcome to New Freedom. How many first-time visitors do we have in the room tonight? All right. So first of all, welcome. Second, let us warn you in advance, you're liable to experience us just a little different than other meetings of other fellowships you may have attended. The primary reason that's liable to happen is we intend for you to have a different experience here. What we do here, we've been doing for lots of years now. We take a look at the suggested instruction for a step or so a week directly out of this book. And we use this book in 12-step recovery. Why? Yeah, the process described by the authors of this book has been proven to work for addicts of the hopeless variety, addicts to alcohol and other substances. Fair enough? And so what we do here is not tell you what it says, because it's none of my business what it says to you, but what I try and show you is how I find my experience in it. Because this is their story. The book is actually called Alcoholics Anonymous, the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. And tonight we're going to take a look at who the storytellers are. So it's their testimony. So we make certain that we don't alter their testimony. And I'll show you why we don't do that tonight. Fair enough? A couple housecleaning matters before we start. Those of you, how many members we got in the room tonight? Wow, a bunch of you. Good, thank you. How many alumni do we got in the room tonight? Oh, look at that. Very good. Thank you for coming back. How many of you were members and graduates and are now back working here in the room tonight? Oh, good. A bunch of any, any family members or any other community members here tonight? Good. We catch everybody. So if you're a member here and you want to bring your family to come let them see how you're doing in your first early day or days of your reentry, we encourage you to bring them uh, to PON and to the Recovery Church on Saturday. Chaplain Lee is even planning a Christmas event for those that are still going to be here at Christmas. So we got all kinds of things for family and kids and what have you for the church event in, on Saturday and in the recovery meeting. We may not quite be childproof, but bring the family anyway. Well, we're recovery-oriented, Sean. Sometimes we get a little... Yeah. Okay, so tonight we're going to take a look at the instructions, the experience for step one, and we're going to start in the forward to the first edition. I already told you what the book was called. A lot of people call it the big book, but what it's really called is Alcoholics Anonymous, the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. So it's their story. And we're going to go through and look at their story and then see if I can show you how I align my story with their story and encourage you to have your experience. Fair enough? If we both do our job, we will share a spiritual experience in this room tonight. I didn't say we might. I said we would. How many have been here before? Yeah? And so for those of you watching online, I want you to understand when we speak of a spiritual experience in 12-step recovery, we're not talking about a concept. We're talking about a sensory experience. You'll feel it. When you do, I'll know, and I'll call it to your attention. Because we would cheat you to talk to you about the power we call God without giving you a demonstration of that power. Fair enough? So we're in the forward to the first edition, if you're following along in your book. And it starts out by telling us who the we is. How many of you have been confused over the years when people told you you were in a we program? Some of us, everyone else is like, I don't even know what that old guy's talking about. <laughs> so over the years, people have said, we're we. 
There's whole fellowships that have we treats. But they're going to tell it. Hey, I'm not making fun of it. I'm just telling you who the we is in this story. And that's going to be fundamentally important because they're going to tell us about the revelation of a power greater than themselves manifesting through themselves and taking them from a scrap heap into a level of life better than the best they've ever known. And if I alter that testimony, I take the power of that testimony away. Does it make sense? So I want to know who the we is so I can decide whether I want to follow their path. Right? So we of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of the book. So do you see why we do this and have done it for many years? Because someone had to show me. They got this book out and they showed me. And I endeavor to show you. But it's not just about what I can show you about aligning my experience in this book. We encourage you to walk with us and see the changed life as well. They didn't say to tell others. Right? Some of you that come from a more religious background, the best sermons are walked, not spoken. Yes? Okay. All right. So we know who the we is. The we is the first 100. And the reason we look at the book is there's precise instructions on how they recovered. Make sense? How many of you have heard the debate about whether we recover or we're always recovering? It's not a debate. They say recovered 17 times in the instructions to the step. And they use the word recovering exactly once and it's to, no, twice. And it's in the chapter to the wives about the still drinking alcoholic. So clearly these doctors were talking about this doctor and these authors were talking about a different experience because there was no medical diagnosis, so there was no medical recovery possible. They were talking about a redemptive experience. What's the goal of 12-step recovery? To wake up spiritually. That's why it doesn't say having been struck sober as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message. It says having awakened spiritually as a result of these steps. Yes? Okay. So what I'm going to do from there is I'm going to jump to the doctor's opinion because we're going to spend most of our time just in Bill's testimony tonight. But I, oh, you know what I do want to do? I want to go to, to the forward to the second edition. Oh boy, where am I? Okay, I want to be on page XVII, so Roman numeral 17. And I want to explain another thing to you about if you've ever been confused about recovery, why this book over another book. This is the original testimony that spawned all 12-step programs that came from that. And it's the power of the testimony we're focusing on, not the, not the power of the problem. I'm talking about a redemptive experience. That's what I want to focus on, okay? And so some people, how many of you thought by coming to meetings you were in the program? Because that's a common misconception. Right? But they're very careful in here to talk about the program as described in the book, and then they talk about our fellowship, which is what happens when we come in the room. And you can sit in our room for years and years and years and know nothing about the program. Does it make sense? So it's kind of confusing, but I want to show you on the bottom of that page, it says, it was now time the struggling groups thought to place their message and unique experience before the world. 
This determination bore fruit in the spring of 1939 by the publication of this volume. So Bill got sober in 35 or 34, and then he and a bunch of others did a bunch of biblical study, and they served a bunch of other people, and by 39 they started to write down their testimony of the unfolding of spiritual awakening they'd collectively encountered. Does it make sense? It says the membership had then reached about 100 men and women. The fledgling society, which had been nameless, now began to be called Alcoholics Anonymous from the title of its own book. So it's so important if you really want to grow in 12-step recovery, the fellowships were named after the book, not the other way around. So when somebody says, I'm in the program, then politely ask them to show you which page. I'm not trying to be a jerk, chap. I'm just trying to refocus people because people die because they're misinformed. From 1939 to 1955, they document 65% efficacy. Stayed sober, got sober, stayed sober through a world war. There's many of us in the treatment world today, we know our success numbers are significantly less than that. Probably less than 10%. Why, with all the advances to medical science, have we failed so miserably at replicating the 39 to 55 experience? We probably took the power out. If lack of power was our dilemma. Yes? All right. So I just wanted to show you that, and then I want to go to the doctor's opinion briefly, and I want to jump into Bill's testimony. So the... Um, the doctor's opinion, I want to go to XXVII, and I'm at the very bottom of that page, Roman numeral 27, and it says, of course, an alcoholic ought to be freed from his physical craving for liquor. So what the doctor noticed about the alcoholic is that they had a different reaction to the chemical alcohol. How many drinkers do I have in the room? Did any of you notice when you drank it seemed to energize you? Yes! It's a sedative. So that, if you're a doctor, you might consider that an abnormal reaction to a sedative. Where's my opiate addicts? Do I need to say more? Should we walk through this? When you were out, did people think you were on? And when you were hooked up, were you really productive? Some people would consider that an abnormal reaction to something meant to sedate you. Where's my methamphetamine addicts? Did you notice how that shit got your head right? Kind of calmed you down. I've watched meth addicts slam it and nod out. That's an abnormal reaction. <laughs> Dr. opines that this might require a definite hospital procedure before psychological measures can be of maximum benefit. Any of you ever had a suggestion that you go to detox? Because that whole plan of detoxing on the street tomorrow 
was stringing along a little bit. So we believe and so suggested a few years ago that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy. So the manifestation of the allergy, whatever it is that chased you in here, is your seeming inability to stop when other people can stop. Did you set limits for yourself and then break your own limits? Okay. That the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. So this is a little internal stuff coming from the doctor who treated us. Says it never occurs in the average temperate drinker. Have you ever put substances in your body and found that you took a little more than you intended? I know I always meet people that say, no, I never took more than I intended. <laughs> I, I intended to run that baby off the rails, right? But at some point, we surprise ourselves with our utter inability to leave it alone, do we not? My friend Tracy's here tonight. He's got stories of his utter inability to leave it alone. So if it's ever happened that you did more than you intended and you consciously intended to do less and you did more, then we know that you are not temperate. We have not discovered whether or not you are an addict to the hopeless variety, but we know that it's not going to be a moderation issue for you. Okay. It says, these allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all, and once having formed the habit and found they cannot break it, have you, or have you at some time in your history formed a habit that you found was difficult for you to break? Because we end up showing up in fellowships to look for support, or we end up in places with fences and <laughs> behind dumpsters. That's where I go. Yeah. Yeah. Once having lost their self confidence, how many of you have lost your self confidence with regard to? Okay. Their reliance upon things human, how many of you discovered that? No matter how many safety plans you had, you exceeded your own limits. Anyone ever have anyone else keeping you accountable? What happened to them? They didn't, they didn't go with you when you changed states or what? Their problems pile up on them and become astonishingly difficult to solve. Is that true for anybody in here? Okay, now they're going to talk to us. We're, we're, we're going through a self-diagnosis. Is the doctor's opinion that it either fits or it doesn't. Then he says, frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. How many of you had people beg you to stop? If you loved me, you'd stop. How many of you have heard that? How many of you loved them? How many of you stopped? Come on, guys. I'm, I mean, we can giggle, but I want you to also feel that sinking spirit when you go to, I did love them, and I could manifest no outward action to show that because I was like in a tractor beam to that chemical, whatever it was. Yes? Okay. The message which can interest and hold these alcoholic people must have depth and weight. In nearly all cases, their ideals must be grounded in a power greater than themselves if they are to recreate their lives. So that's the bad news for people who think that we've just got this simple solution. I don't pick up no matter what, because I have discovered I am a guy who picks up no matter what. 
So lack of power is definitely my dilemma, and the rest of the book is going to recount for me how I come to believe in a power greater than myself, operating through myself, that all, though in me, is not of me. And the sensory experience of that overtaking. Does that make sense? All right, so let's go, and if it doesn't make sense, that's fine. It will in time. But the, it should be a logical approach to what I have found is my issue here. Yes? How many of you tried abstinence in your recovery? How many of you found that a little anxiety producing? <laughs> then obviously abstinence is not the solution, is it? What if I told you their solution was spiritual inebriation? Oh, you interest me, teacher. <laughs> All right, let's go to Bill's story, page five. All right, so we're going to catch up with Bill right at the top of page five. He's going to talk about his active drinking. He's going to walk us through his encounter with power and, and then kind of give us a vision for forward. Make sense? So it says, let's see if you can get with him. Liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. How many of you in your addiction went from that place where you weren't doing it because you wanted to, you were doing it because you had to? And you knew it. There's a difference between doing it because I had to and pretending I wanted to and knowing I really don't want to do this and I have no choice. Anyone know where I'm at? Okay. It says bathtub, gin, two bottles a day off, and three got to be routine. So he's telling you what it looked like for him. You'll have to figure out what it looked like for you, right? Sometimes a small deal would net a few hundred dollars and I would pay my bills at the bars and delicatessens. This went on endlessly and I began to waken very early in the morning shaking violently. So how many of you got on the hook? Some of you guys were probably in places when you got on the hook it was dangerous to be on the hook, huh? But nonetheless you got on the hook, right? And then your parents got those calls. Put your, put your money on the books or it's not going to go well for Johnny. Who am I talking to? Look, I'm a parent that got those calls. You want to talk about terror filled. I may have then went and paid the bills a little bit just so you can get on the hook again. I went on in, this went on endlessly, and I began to waken very early in the morning, shaking violently. A tumbler full of gin followed by a half dozen bottles of beer would be required if I were to eat any breakfast. How many of you got to the point where you were so sick when you came to that you had to pour something down your neck just so you could function enough to go get some more so that you'd have more later? Hard to keep down. I was sharing with some friends of mine that did not know me as a drinker how I would run out sometimes and I, my nausea would be so significant I would just keep the cup next to me and throw up in the cup because I knew I was going to have to drink it again in order to get out to get some more. Anyone drinkers like me? Just, just want to make sure I was in my crowd. 
Nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation. And there were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope. How many of you had someone going along with you on the journey? And they were so proud of you. You're doing so good. You got this. How many of you had someone tell you that? And you're thinking, oh boy, I hope so. <laughs> right? I hope they're not easily disappointed. Then he goes on to describe it. Gradually, things got worse. Now, think about the insanity of that line of thinking. I'm spending everything, I'm robbing the house, I'm waking up shaking violently. I get a little money and then I go out and pay them off just so I can get on the hook again. But gradually, things got worse. The house was taken, this is what gradually looks like to build. The house was taken over by the mortgage holder. My mother-in-law died. My wife and father-in-law became ill. How many of you watched your family falling away and were unable to participate? How many of you watched your normal, any of you go from somewhat normal living situation, middle America, to homeless and, and then convince yourself only suckers pay rent? <laughs> Who am I talking to? There you go. That's what gradually things got worse looks like. See, the thing we got to come to understand is we sit in rooms like this and assume, it I decided. Dude, I had no power of decision. The insanity of my life points to the fact that I had lost the power of decision. I did not choose sobriety. I was chosen. And if you're here, you did not choose. You were chosen. Snatched up. All right. So it says, then I got a promising business opportunity. Stocks were at a low point of 1932, and I had somehow formed a group to buy. How many of you were good enough at your hustle that as bad as it got, you could clean up and go out and get you a new hustle? Okay. I was to share generously in the profits. Hey, any of you get one that was going to pay big and then go out to celebrate? Maybe get a little front. And then went out to celebrate, and then what happened? What happened to Bill is he said, then I went on a prodigious bender, and that chance vanished. I know we don't talk about prodigious benders anymore, but I think you all can get his drift. So I woke up. This had to be stopped. How many of you had that awakening? This is not safe. This is not good for me. Anybody? I saw I could not take so much as one drink. I was through forever. Before then, I had written lots of sweet promises, but my wife happily observed that this time I meant business, and so I did. How many of you really meant it? How many of you got out there a few days or hours and thought, perhaps I overreacted? <laughs> what he's telling you is his wife observed he meant business. He 
did mean business, but shortly afterward he came home drunk. So what we want to do is we can go from hilarity to despair, and we want to take that ride for a minute, because we want to get, how much of that do I want? Given that I was chosen, I'm going to have to say yes. So do I want hilarity, or do I want despair? And which one really feeds it's going to be a decision we're going to get to make at some point. Yeah? Okay. So, shortly afterward, I came home drunk. There had been no fight. Where had been my high resolve? So when they put a question mark in there, they want you to go inward. When that happened to you, did you ask yourself, what happened? And if you did ask yourself what happened, what was your answer? If we're honest, we don't know. Right? I simply didn't know. It hadn't even come to mind. Someone had pushed a drink my way and I had taken it. Was I crazy? He had drank away his life. He had watched his in-laws die. He couldn't support his wife in it. He'd lost the house. And he was going to do it some more. And he didn't want to do it anymore. says, I began to wonder, for such an appalling lack of perspective seemed near to being just that. The alcoholic insanity is not the things we hear in fellowships. It's an appalling lack of perspective. It's, it's the utter inability to leave it alone, no matter the need or desire. Renewing my resolve, I tried again. Some time passed, and confidence began to be replaced by cocksureness. Have any of you ever had some clean time and had the experience of confidence being replaced by cocksureness? And if that sounds weird to you, it's basically I confused the experience of grace with the illusion of control. I went from God did it to I'm doing it. I got this. And alcohol was just a symptom of my malady. And therefore, back to the asylum for Joe. Next day, oh wait, I got the wrong one. Okay, I could laugh at the gin mills. Now I had what it takes. One day I walked into a cafe to telephone. In no time I was beating on the bar asking myself how did it happen. Any of you casually go in to do one thing, end up doing another? Where's my people that went down to the trap house to show the fellows how good you're doing? How'd that turn out for you? A few of you in here right now, I've heard your story. As whiskey rose to my head, I told myself I'd manage better next time, but I might as well get good and drunk then, and I did. How many of you realized you'd crossed over, you went ahead and used again in some way? And then, magically, decided, well, why not do more? <laughs> Did it give you comfort to believe you had done that consciously? But the insanity preceded the first one. Get on the roof. Jump off. Halfway down, say, I've decided to hit the ground. <laughs> See if it makes you feel any better that you've elected choice in the matter. You see the insanity of that? That's how 
Confidence gets replaced by cocksureness. When I walk in the certainty of who I am and whose I am, I walk in confidence. Don't, don't get it twisted. But when I think I did it and I've lost my identity in him, I am in trouble. Okay. So, it says... The remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. So let's take a journey. How many of you had some clean time? Spun off again. Bring to consciousness now, if you dare, the remorse, horror, and hopelessness of that next morning. Some of you are going there. Notice how that's a sensory experience. You need to understand that. That's, that is a grieving spirit. Okay? It is unforgettable, isn't it? The courage to do battle was not there. My brain raced uncontrollably, and there was a terrible sense of impending calamity. See, now my fences are gone. Now the power I walked in, I've lost consciousness of. So now it's all against me. Any of you been there? Where's my people that made it to the streets? You can't even act crazy enough to stay safe. <laughs> and I tried. I had a parrot that would sit on my shoulder, and people were afraid to come near me because they didn't know whether it was him talking or me talking. What well, was up? True story. I hardly dare cross the street lest I collapse and be run down by the early morning truck, for it was scarcely daylight. An all-night place supplied me with a dozen glasses of ale. My writhing nerves were stilled at last. A morning paper told me the market had gone to hell again. Well, so had I. So he's taking, he's comparing his condition to what he was seeing going on around him. How many of you have noticed that your circumstances tend to reflect what's going on within you? The market would recover, but I wouldn't. That was a hard thought. How many of you have had a hard thought? He was sitting there through the stock crash, right? So he was, he was looking at the fact that someday this would be better again, but he would not see it. How many of you got so bad in your addiction or in whatever happened in your life that you figured out if you didn't try again, you couldn't fail again? So now I needn't get up. That is a hard thought, isn't it? Okay. Should I kill myself? How many of you have had that thought? Judging from the fact you're still here, I'm assuming you decided differently or you were unsuccessful. I was just going to talk about Bill's experience, but I mean, all, a lot of us have done, some of us killed ourselves on the installment plan. No, not now. Then a mental fog settled down. Gin would fix that. So two bottles and oblivion. The mind and body are marvelous mechanisms for mine endured this agony two more years. How many of you got so bad in your addiction that you knew you couldn't go on any further and doctors were saying to you, if you don't stop, you're going to die? Any of you heard that? What's your response? Yeah, I got you, doc. Tell me when. Do you? No, I tell them, man. I'm already dead, doc. Tell me when the suffering is. 
debt I achieved a long time ago. I was just a dead man walking for a lot of years. Didn't know when it ended. Anyone know what I'm talking about? I don't have the I don't have the good sense to just lay down and be dead. I ain't kidding. Sick. Sometimes I stole from my wife's slender purse when the morning terror and madness were on me. Any of you ever do that? Maybe it wasn't the wife, but come on. I'm in a room full of people that probably took something from somebody. That there was absolutely no earthly explanation for where it went. And you might go looking for it, but you will definitely lie about it if you're anything like me. And I will ride that store till it comes off. I'm not backing off my story. I have no idea what happened to that money. Again, I swayed dizzily before an open window or the medicine cabinet where there was poison cursing myself for a weakling. So did you get to the point that you really did want to die and you really did want to end it, but you really didn't have the courage to go through with it, so I'm just going to get high again. And maybe I'll die of an overdose and that'll be cool. Whatever. There were flights from city to country and back as my wife and I sought escape and then came the night when the physical and mental torture was so hellish I feared I would burst through my window, sash and all. Somehow I managed to drag my mattress to a lower floor lest I suddenly leap. A doctor came with heavy sedative. How many of you found out <laughs> that there was this thing about going to doctors with certain conditions and getting heavy, heavy sedatives. <laughs> How many of you found that that did not solve your alcohol problem? So Bill said, next day found me drinking both gin and sedative. This combination soon landed me on the rocks. People feared for my sanity. Anybody around you start to realize that as maddening as you were, your behavior was just not you. You weren't even the same person. And so what you thought was just judgment and hatred was just absolute terror at what they were going to find next. Parents know this in a deep way, I can assure you. But any of us that have ever cared for anybody know from the other side what it looks like to watch somebody in this insanity. Yeah. So did I. I could eat little or nothing when drinking. I was 40 pounds underweight. My brother-in-law is a physician, and through his kindness and that of my mother, I was placed in a nationally known hospital for mental and physical rehabilitation of alcoholics. Under the so-called belladonna treatment, my brain cleared. Hydrotherapy and mild exercise helped much. Best of all, I met a kind doctor who explained that though certainly selfish and foolish, I'd been seriously ill bodily and mentally. So he's talking about his encounter with Dr. Silkworth, and people think, you know, well, there's a treatment program on every corner anymore, but back then it was pretty rare. Yes, sir. There wasn't a disease, you know, sort of protocol for addictive disorder at the time, so it was rare. And this doctor was proposing his theory about the nature of the illness of addictive disorder, specifically alcoholism, but it wasn't greatly supported 
in the, in the country. So it was very, Bill just drank himself into the one place in the world that someone actually knew what was up. I'm talking about Bill's inability to plan that out. Okay. Any of you ever found yourself in something you didn't plan for? Exactly. How many of you, when you went to do your time, knew there was going to be a place when you got out that said, welcome home? Let us feed you. Let us take care of you. Let us get you a job. How many of you knew that? So we're sharing that with Bill, right? Okay. It relieved me somewhat to learn that in alcoholics, the will is amazingly weakened when it comes to combating liquor. Though it often remains strong in other respects. So Bill's problem was he had had all this worldly success. Why can't I conquer this addiction thing? But he wasn't calling it an addiction thing there. He was just, you know, why can't I just drink normally? And what's the answer? Why can't I drink normally? Because I don't want to drink normally. It's a waste of time. It's alcohol abuse. The idea that he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. I can control it sometimes, but I don't enjoy it. Or I can enjoy it and control is out the window. Well, we need to know that about ourselves because that is a characterization of what's going on with us, right? I thought I wanted to control and enjoy it, but that's bullshit. I wanted to enjoy it. Okay. And in other areas of my life, I could piece back together the hustle. Until they found out who I was. Okay. So my incredible behavior in the face of the desperate desire to stop was explained. Understanding myself now, I fared forth in high hope. What's he mean? He got a good dose of treatment that gave him to understand, oh, well, that's why I do it. Now that I know me, I will guard against me. <laughs> Any of you ever had that plan? How'd that go? Bill said for three or four months, the goose hung high. We probably don't hang a lot of high gooses around here anymore, but what's he mean? Any of you get, you like, you're just walking in it three or four months. Can't wait to get my 120-day chip. Whatever. I went to town regularly, even made a little money. Surely this was the answer, self-knowledge. Bill's calling to our attention this process of awakening because we have a process of coming to believe right and so I'm going to first have to come to believe it in illness before I recognize my need for a healer when I my need for a healer becomes evident in me one appears does that make sense okay so it says but it was not for the frightful day came when I drank once more the curve of my declining moral and bodily health fell off like a ski jump. So how many of you noticed that you not only were getting sickened in the body, but your lows got lower, moral and bodily health? 
those things you would never do. I did that. And people will say, if you haven't hit bottom, quit digging. And they completely miss the fact that I've been in free fall for years. And I have no conscious ability to recognize what's causing my continual fall. In fact, I'll argue with you that the only reason I exist at all is to feed my addiction. Because that's all I got. So, after a time, I returned to the hospital. This was the finish, the curtain, it seemed to me. My weary and despairing wife was informed that it would all end with heart failure during delirium tremens, or I would develop a wet brain perhaps within a year. She would soon have to give me over to the undertaker of the asylum. They did not need to tell me. I knew. I almost welcomed the idea. You're with him on that journey? Get to the point where you're just so beat up, so many cycles of arrest or hospitals or whatever. Wherever you land where people try and protect you from yourself. And you're like, come on. So it said it was a devastating blow to my pride. I hear people all the time saying, I can't talk about that God stuff. What will people think? I go, dude, you've been eating out of dumpsters for two fucking years. What do you, what do you think they think? All of a sudden, I've gotten refined. <laughs> I, who had thought so well of myself and my abilities, of my capacity to surmount obstacles, was cornered at last. Now I was to plunge into the dark, joining that endless procession of sots who'd gone on before. I thought of my poor wife. There'd been much happiness, after all. What would I not give to make amends? But that was over now. How am I going to make it right to all those people I've harmed? I can't. I can't possibly. That's what he's thinking. We've all had that thought, yes? So now he's going to tell us what happens when we're in that broken place. No words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. See, where I found myself is in this illusion of poor me, and I could not lift myself out. So he describes quicksand stretched around me in all directions. Why can't I not lift myself out? Because there's nothing stable around me by this stage. My mental and emotional states are not stable, nor is my circumstance. Any of you been there? That's what he's describing. But this is a rescue story, so don't lose hope. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. Trembling, I stepped from the hospital, a broken man. Fear sobered me for a bit. Then came the insidious insanity of that first drink. See how he's talking about it now? He's recognized the insanity preceded the drink. It's not the crazy crap that happens to me after I take a drink. That's the crazy stuff that happens to people who drink like me. That's not the insanity of alcoholism. It's the appalling lack of perspective, the insanity that... Whatever I'm going through now is unbearable and a drink is going to fix it. So, 
What did I do? Trembling, I stepped from the hospital, a broken man. Oh, what did I do? No, I did that wrong. Oh, okay. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Trembling, I stepped from the hospital, a broken man. Fear sobered me for a bit. Then came the insidious insanity of that first drink, and on Armistice Day 1934, I was off again. Everyone began, became resigned to the certainty that I would have to be shut up somewhere or would stumble along to a miserable end. So this is where we're going to change the story. How dark it is before the dawn. In reality, that was the beginning of my last debauch. I was soon to be catapulted into what I like to call the fourth dimension of existence. So there's been a lot of speculation over the years about what he meant, and there's not been a lot of writing, but we do know that at that time people started proposing we, we, we had basic dimensions, and then we started adding the idea of time and space. So this fourth dimension of existence would be a life in the here and now. Does that make sense? How many of you have learned that it's really helpful when you have addictive disorder to learn to get you ease and comfort from within, and in order to do that, you have to take captive your thoughts, and you have to take responsibility for your own emotions, which means you need to live most of your life in the here and now. Yes? So he said he was going to be catapulted into that existence, and then he's going to tell us what it feels like so we can see if we want to maybe pursue it. Does that make sense? So he said, I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. How many of you learned that your addictive disorder was progressive? How many of you have been told that your recovery is substantially more progressive in the other direction? To know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life. Yes? So now you're getting to know that we're not offering abstinence, we're offering spiritual inebriation. I'm going to know happiness. I'm going to know peace. What did they tell me, the authors, when we get there next week, you'll see that they would sense the flow of power, peace, happiness, sense of direction flowing into them. Right? Okay. So it says, near the, bleak, the end of that bleak November, I sat drinking in my kitchen with a certain satisfaction. I reflected there was enough gin concealed about the house to carry me through that night and the next day. How many of you were drinkers? Did you hide it? Drinkers or hiders? Where's my meth addicts? Y'all are hiders too. <laughs> they know. I, I didn't break it to them gently at all, did I? They didn't know we knew. See, my wife was at work. I wondered whether I dared hide a full bottle of gin near the head of our bed. I would need it before daylight. How many of you drank to delirium tremens? So you know what he's talking about. I need to have it because I need to crack it, because I'm going to be really sick and hallucinating if I don't get it down every, yeah, okay. My musing was interrupted by the telephone. The cheery voice of an old school friend asked if he might come over. He was sober. Now, you know, if you're not looking in your book, that's in italics. You got a picture. How many of you, no matter how bad you got, maintained that one guy that at least I'm not that bad yet? Yeah, I know. I was that guy, too. I was that guy for a lot of people. But <laughs> and indeed, I was wrong about that as well, because I was that bad yet. But Ebby for Bill is that guy who at least I'm not that bad yet. So it's the utter impossibility that Ebby can be sober. It was years since I could remember his coming to New York in that condition. 
I was amazed. See, he's trying to tell you the story of how impossible this is. Rumor had it that he'd been committed for alcoholic insanity. I wondered how he had escaped. This guy had been drugged to court and was getting committed forcibly. He must have busted the chains and run. And just came to see me. Because he can't possibly be a free man. How many of you have had people think that about you? They can't possibly be a free man and woman. I'm just telling you, there's a lot of commonality in this story. Of course, he would have dinner and then I could drink openly with him, unmindful of his welfare. I thought only of recapturing the spirit of other days. There was that time we chartered an airplane to complete a jag. His coming was an oasis in this dreary desert of futility. The very thing, an oasis. Drinkers are like that. So I want you to look at, he's, he's a little poetic in his writing, but think about what an oasis is. Oasis may be water in a very dry place. But if you've been lost in the desert, what we hear is that it's quite often an illusion, a mirage. And so we drink sand, not water. So he wants us to get to where... His coming somehow frees me from this deplorable state I'm in. I'm going to drink openly even though I know he's worse than me and this is going to condemn him too. But it's all going to be good. Drinkers are like that. Are you with him? The door opened and he stood there fresh-skinned and glowing. There was something about his eyes. He was inexplicably different. What had happened? He went inward. Now let's get honest. I don't care who you are. Describing your drinking buddy as fresh-skinned and glowing (laughs) is a little weird. Come on, look at the words he's choosing. I'm sitting there drunk and drinking. In comes Lance. Lance, you're fresh-skinned and glowing. That would be freaking disturbing. He was inexplicably different. What had happened? He could not define what had happened. He knows later, he didn't know then, that when he opened the door, he was confronted with a visitation of the Holy Spirit. He was inexplicably different. He was once dead, now he's alive. You got to learn to recognize a miracle when you see it. That's what's happening to this famous agnostic bill. Okay, so it says, I pushed a drink across the table. He refused it. He said, disappointed but curious. I wondered what had got into the fellow. He wasn't himself. Have you ever been disappointed but curious? Come on, man. We're going to get high. It's going to be chill. It's going to be great. What do you mean you're not going to get high? Did you get, you get caught up in that shit last week? You come in here? And... Disappointed but curious. 
Okay. Come on, what's this all about? He looked straight at me, simply but smilingly. He said, I've got religion. Okay, now I don't care what anyone's religious leanings. Let's get honest for a minute here. You're sitting there drunk and drinking, planning for just a train wreck. Your buddy shows up, who you're going to celebrate with, and you ask him what's up, and he says, I've got religion. Yeah, the fun meter just goes... Oh, this is going to suck, right? So that's where he goes. He goes from yeehaw to oh, shit. Okay. I was aghast, so that was it. Last summer, an alcoholic crackpot. Now, I suspected a little cracked about religion. He had that starry-eyed look. Yes, the old boy was on fire, all right, but bless his heart, let him rant. Besides, my gin would last longer than his preaching. This is what's important about AA 12-step. He did no preaching. He did no ranting. In a matter-of-fact way, he told how two men had appeared in court persuading the judge to suspend his commitment. They had told of a simple religious idea and a practical program of action. That was two months ago, and the result was self-evident. It worked. We cheat you to talk to you about the power we call God without a demonstration. This is a guy who cannot be sober. He was getting committed. Two guys he didn't know said, I will take responsibility for my brother. They told him of a religious idea. God dwells in you and a practical program of action. You'll have to prove that fact to yourself through yourself by serving. Why don't we tell people that? We've started to, oh, you can believe anything you want. Believe in this podium. Believe in a light bulb or a doorknob. Let's call it something else. No, this is redemptive power activated within me and allowing me to manifest that which I could never manifest before. I was dead and now I'm alive. So it says he had come to pass his experience along to me if I cared to have it. I was shocked but interested. Have you ever been shocked but interested? Certainly I was interested. I had to be for I was hopeless. Starting to get it if we, if we really lay this plan out where people got a shot. I wanna, I'm going to run out of stuff so I, I want to jump over to page 11, and in the middle of that page it said, but my friend sat before me and he made the point-blank declaration that God had done for him what he could not do for himself. His human will had failed. Doctors had pronounced him incurable. Society was about to lock him up. Like myself, he had admitted complete defeat. Years and years I've heard people say, just admit it. See, it says on the wall, we admitted. Where'd they tell us what the first step experience was? Page 30. We learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholic. That's the first step in recovery. Why? Because the time has come and indeed has now come that we must worship in spirit and in truth. I have to fully concede the experience. It wasn't until I cried out that I got snatched up. 
He had admitted complete defeat. Then, in effect, he had been raised from the dead. See, I'm not making this up. This is his words from 80 years ago. There's millions have had this experience since, and the only reason millions more don't have it is we don't tell them the truth. And the truth has a name. He said, had this power originated in him? Obviously it had not. There had been no more power in him than there was in me at that minute, and this was none at all. So the admission of powerlessness is not a theory. It's an experience. I want to jump from there to page 13. Run you through this really quick. There I humbly offered myself to God as I then understood him to do with me as he would. So for years people talked about a God of your understanding. So they find a God of your understanding. That's a false teaching. He just told you that he had this profound experience. He, he, I skipped some of it, but he saw Ebby. I saw, I felt, and then I believed. He told you the God he understood was the subject of his experience, not the object of his belief. It was never that nonsense. He's talking of an redemptive, redemptive experience that he underwent, even though he once thought himself atheist, and then he lived the rest of his life thinking he was agnostic because he had a doubt problem. But he still proclaimed the power of God. I suggest to you, most of us have a doubt problem, which is why we need a manner of living. All right, so I'm going to go back from there. It says, my schoolmate visited me, and I fully acquainted him with my problems and deficiencies. What's that sound like he did? We made a list of people I'd hurt toward whom I felt resentment. I expressed my entire willingness to approach these individuals admitting my wrong. What's that sound like? Never was I to be critical of them. I was to write all such matters to the utmost of my ability. I was to test my thinking by the new God consciousness within. I'm going to learn how to, through prayer and meditation, to be more conscious of him and less of me and move in the power, peace, and happiness sense of direction that I'm receiving from within. Instead of taking my signals from the world, yes? Common sense would thus become uncommon sense. I was to sit quietly when in doubt, asking only for direction and strength to meet my problems as he would have me, capital H. Never was I to pray for myself except as my request bore on my usefulness to others. Then only might I receive, but that would be in great measure. If I'm asking for resource to serve, I will receive in great measure. The story of new freedom is a group of faithful people asking for resource to serve. And we now serve thousands. And I hope all of you will come back and help us serve thousands more. And although we look like leaders, make no mistake, we are followers of him who brought us here. That's it. Thanks.